happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is EdTech Situation Room, episode number 233 for the September, for the September 29th, 2021. My name is Jason Neifer and I'm the Assistant Director and Curriculum Director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is Montana State Virtual School, located on the beautiful University of Montana campus right here in fabulous Missoula, Montana. And joining me tonight as always, good evening, Dr. Fryer. How are you tonight, sir? Good evening, Jason. I am doing well. I'm a little tired after having a bit of an adventure with our youngest daughter, uh, going to Boston uh, this week. So we went and toured a couple of schools and had a bit of a, of a whirlwind trip. So I will not be staying up much later tonight after our show, but uh, glad to be here. And we have, as we sometimes do, like a ridiculous <laughs> number of links. So hopefully the cool weather has, has settled upon Missoula. Are, is the smoke dissipated entirely? Are you guys out of the smoke woods? Yeah, we're, well, I don't know about quite out of the woods. There was a couple of hazy days last week, but our, our coolest day in, in, in quite some time was yesterday. I think the high got up to the early 50s, and it didn't quite freeze overnight, but it rained most of the day. So that's a nice uh, September surprise. Um, and uh, today I noticed I was out for a, a, a brief amount of time at lunchtime today and then went on an evening walk and it was only up to like uh, uh, early 60s. So I think we can definitely say that falls here. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. It was lovely up in the northeast and uh, they've had uh, some warm weather as well. But Monday was just beautiful. It rained all day actually on Tuesday, but we had a beautiful day Monday and got to play tourist a little bit and, you know, see... Boston from the land, and then the duck boat took us out on the water, so it was fun. Great. Well, what what are we doing tonight? What What is this whole podcast about? Well, we are going to talk about the tech news through an educational lens, and we have, as always, posted uh, a ton of links that you can access on edtechsr.com slash links. This Google Doc is, you know, perhaps competing for some kind of Guinness Book of World Records length um, length record. Um, the topics for tonight include Google, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, social media, the tech correction, privacy and security, and then of course our geeks of the week. And Jason and I will kind of pick these in a random order and try to not like talk the whole show about the tech correction or one particular thing. Um, we'll try. And by the way, apologies if you are an audio podcast listener uh, or maybe you listen on the video. I don't actually end up tracking any metrics for that but the show from last week is not yet on the website but normally it gets up there within a few days and i will be a little more prompt to get tonight's show up there so dr neifer do you have a burning desire to start on a particular topic tonight well, um, yeah, let's, I guess, uh, I don't want this to take over the show, and this will be a lot of really quick links, but Apple news. Um, so, uh, obviously, last week the iPhone 13 was released, and I have to show off, um, I am sporting um, an iPhone 13 Pro, which is what I decided to go with, and I'll just repeat that my full intention was to kind of drive the used XS that I was carrying around into the ground and then buy whatever the cheaper used model was after that. But uh, T-Mobile made me such an extraordinary deal. I had a really hard time saying no to, to the newer phone. And I have to say, I'm extremely pleased with it. Um, it's a solid piece of hardware. Um, I like, I mean, it's, it's, it's clearly faster, right? Like, but the excess was perfectly fine from a processor and, and a speed standpoint, but beautiful screen. Um, I do really like the, um, the, uh, the actual, uh, uh phone itself. I went with the, it's kind of a Wedgwood blue. They call it something else other than that, but it's a really beautiful um, uh, you know, piece of hardware. It, it does kind of remind me, it feels like they've been doing a bit of a throwback design to the 5 and 5S because it has the, um, you know, the metal sides to it. And then this is a ceramic back. And my, my colleague uh, at work that's an also a, a pretty big Apple guy was uh, telling me a lengthy story about, um, you know, and of course I was eating it all up, uh, about the lengths Apple had to go through to get this blue into the ceramic back. So, and I won't go through all that, but it's pretty great stuff. So 
couple interesting articles that kind of piqued my um, interest. The first one, and and actually, I'm 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 looking forward to hearing from you about where you're at with this lately. Uh, CNET reports on September 28th that Apple has updated Keynote pages and numbers, which is part of the so-called iWork suite. Um, which is the, the, the competitor to uh, uh, the Office, uh, Microsoft Office suite and the Google Workplace suite. Um, and to be honest, I have long moved away from these tools. And part of it was because, um, you know, a lot of my time is still spent on a Chromebook. And although there are web versions of, of these particular tools, um, I never found them all that 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 persuasive in comparison to the Google suite. So I guess to start with, Dr. Fryer, are you still using things like Keynote or have you moved on to other platforms to do your presentations? It's been a while. You know, a couple years ago, pre-pandemic, uh, <laughs> on Sundays for my Sunday school class, I wanted to be fancy and use my Apple Watch as the remote. And to do that actually requires your phone and your Mac laptop running Keynote you know, and your watch because it, it, you just, you remote control your phone via your watch. So I would download my Google slideshow presentations, open them in Keynote and then drive them with my watch. I haven't done that in almost two years. Yeah. So, um, you know, back in the day, uh, before Google Slides really became such so amazing. And, and of course, that also has to do with the ubiquity of high-speed web access and, and you know, having really confidence. I'm, I'm not traveling like I was at one time, but yeah. you know, I have really, really good confidence pretty much wherever I go now that I'm going to be able to bring my Google slideshow up fine and, and play my, my videos, you know, but back in the day before connectivity was as robust as reliable, being able to embed your videos and keynote was just rock solid, right? I mean, it was developed for Steve Jobs for the Apple events. Um, loved, loved using it. Um, I actually wrote an article that I'll mention in, in the security section uh, for my Substack uh, on the airplane Sunday night, I guess, because, hey, I had it. And, and you know, we are not as a school, if we want to talk about the educational lens, uh, we're not licensing Microsoft Office for most of our teachers. You know, our debate team has it and there's, you know, different uh, staff that really require it. But, you know, Google Docs is our primary driver. And then if you want an offline tool, you've got pages um, or, uh, or numbers or, or Keynote. But I uh, am not using them much. I'm glad that Apple offers them um, because every once in a while, but it's really, really rare. I just, I find everything I can do with, with sheets, uh, docs and, and slides pretty much. Uh, yeah. At one time I was doing some, you know, some spreadsheet stuff. So there's actually one of our faculty members uh, who's really was been an Excel hardcore, you know, user um, is using numbers and it asked me a question the other day and I need to get back with him because, you know, the, the, the GUI and the, and the UI, the, 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 is that right? The, the visual interface, uh, the user interface of um, these tools, you know, continues to change and, and with updates and things like that. But core function is, is similar. But, you know, we've seen Google, you know, Sheets, for example, you know, integrate pivot tables and, you know, just really like what else do you want to do that you can't, can't do in Sheets? It's interesting because there's a number of people that have their perception about, for instance, Google Sheets still, you know, back in the old days. Uh, it still can be a little challenging for graphing, but it's not, it's not terribly hard. And so anyway, I'm glad it's there. I use it occasionally. Uh, I wish I could readily drive a Google slideshow with my Apple watch. You know, is that a, is that a real important thing? No, that's just kind of a, right. you know, boy, I'd like to eat some candy corn, you know, with the rest of my Halloween candy or something. I don't know what it is, right. uh, but how about you? Are you using any of those tools and does this, uh, do these updates excite you? Um, not really from the standpoint of I have long ago moved to, and I, and I forced myself to do this in part because I work in a, in, in a Google, uh, workplace based organization, but I've moved all my, my slides over to, uh, uh, Google slides and I did force myself to figure out strategies. I'm a, a bit of a presentation Zen student in that, um, I believe in, in, in mostly big bold graphics and relatively few, um, uh, relatively few bullet points on, on slides and uh, tend to have relatively little text. And I figured out strategies to be able to do that. And my evolution was there was a small amount of time where I was 
uh, on uh, Keynote. Um, and I still think Keynote can make some very beautiful slides because of the templates and, and the design language there. But I can now do all of that in, in, in Google uh, Slides. And to be frank, uh, the notion that the, it's web-based and web-based only uh, is, is really important to me because one of the frustrations I found about both online Keynote, and this is also true of online PowerPoint, is that it's not the full feature of the desktop app. And so that something gets lost when you open it on the online piece. And I would rather just not have that transition back and forth. Um, I know that both of them are getting a lot better. And in particular, um, I have had a little bit of experience recently um, with, uh, uh, this would be the, uh, the web-based, uh, Office 365 and PowerPoint is good enough, right? Uh, and, and does most of the things I wanted to do, uh, in, in that realm, but I, I'm probably pretty stuck in, in, uh, slides. So Peggy has a question related, uh, if these updates happen automatically or we have to do them, I'm pretty sure if you have auto updates turned on, they should go ahead and download for you um, because I don't think they're there for, for the phone. Uh, I actually had to uh, let's see. It was for the watch, I guess the, well, no, it was for both. I had to go ahead. Uh, it said it was updated with 14.8 something, something. And then I had to go ahead and say, yes, I do want iOS 15. But if, if it's saying you're updated with iOS 15, you're, you're good. Um, you might just go ahead and open your watch and or the watch app on your, on your iPhone and see if you um, can go ahead and push that update. And you want to do that overnight. That takes, takes a little while. I think it's over yep. a gig. Okay. And then actually I'm only going to mention a couple more quick articles here. There was a, uh, 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 some data in nine to five Mac on September 24th that says that uh, the iPhone 13 pro max, there's four models of the iPhone 13 everywhere from the iPhone 13 mini to the iPhone 13 pro max. But, uh, it, the, the Pro Max has the longest battery life of, 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 uh, active battery life of any iPhone, which is, uh, uh, obviously good news. Uh, I, I do feel like that, that iPhones, in part because Apple designs the hardware and the software tends to have, uh, a pretty good battery life in comparison to a lot of the off the shelf Android products. You can buy Android phones with massive batteries in them. So that, that helps a little bit with that. Uh, so I thought I'd mention that. And then there is a New York Times article that I have kind of a separate commentary on. Um, it's the review from September 21st that talks about how the iPhone 13 is the most incremental upgrade ever. And it talks about how the form factor hasn't really changed, that the camera is slightly better, the battery life is slightly better. Um, uh, iOS 15 makes it slightly better than than previous versions of the phone, but otherwise it's very incremental. And the reason why I want to talk about this article is, is, is really twofold. The first one is that incremental phones is pretty much the way it's going to be for a long time. And this has been true for a long time. This is also true in the Android versus uh, 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 iOS world, in part because the phones do a lot of interesting stuff already. And there are always little feature updates, but... In the last couple of years, I found myself a little disappointed, too, in the feature sets of new phones, not because, you know, it's not interesting sometimes, but because there used to be really big leaps uh, each year as these phone platforms were developing. And I just think it's highly unrealistic. On, and I'm not even sure what the next piece might look like. Uh, there's been a lot of attempts, you know, to add uh, what end up being kind of kitschy things to these phones that have fizzled out, but the bottom line is, is that making the, the battery last longer, perhaps adding a, a higher quality screen, um, I think evolution of the cameras makes a big difference, but, you know, I'm sure the iPhone 13, I've never touched a 12, so I don't know for sure, but, oh, the puppy, um, the, I don't know for sure, but the bottom line is that I, I, you know, until something major happens, which might be generations of phones from now, you know, there won't be any of that. The other thing I think it's also important to note is that I get a little tired of tech reviewers who um, each year are buying a brand new iPhone and um, making, uh, you know, making comments about how, well, this just looks awful like last year's phone, realizing that the vast majority of consumers, even the very tech savvy ones, aren't buying new phones every year. 
And so in my particular case, um, you know, my upgrade pathway was an iPhone XS, which was a three-year-old phone that was working just fine for me, by the way. And I'm really impressed with the iPhone 13. It's a better camera. It's a better screen. It's a better form factor. Um, it, uh, 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 it's got better battery life. It, 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 all of this is new. And so, you know, don't be scared away from a 13 because a reviewer told you it looks too similar to last year's. If you're rocking, you know, an iPhone 6S, um, and, you know, which is a six-year-old device now, um, you know, it's going to be a pretty great upgrade for you. And if you can get someone like a T-Mobile or a Verizon or AT&T to give you a good deal or give you a substantial discount, you know, and this is true on the Android side too, it's worth the jump, um, you know, uh, to get those new features and also to get the increased battery life, especially if you're rocking your original battery from, you know, four, five, six, seven years ago. So don't let reviewers, you know, sour you. Uh, the bottom line is, is that, yes, these are incremental evolutions, but they're evolutions nonetheless. Yeah. I think the definite time when you want to be upgrading is when your device is no longer supported. And I actually visited with uh, our mechanic downtown this evening, picking up a car, and uh, he was talking about, yeah, he's, he's got an update. He's, he's got an iPhone 6, and they just told him, they, you know, he can't update. So when you reach that point, you definitely, I think, want to be want to be updating. Uh, but the good news is, as we've talked about on the show multiple times, Apple supports many, many generations of iPhones. And so that is not a rush. So, um, yeah, Apple would love and all the all the phone manufacturers would love for us to be on that regular upgrade bandwagon. And they do have some, you know, things that can seem pretty tempting if you want to do that as far as just, you know, sort of like leasing a car. But you're just like almost leasing your phone forever because you're just paying that monthly amount, but you're going to be able to get a new phone whenever it comes out. I don't honestly, I do know some people that do that, but um, I don't think that's probably the path for most folks. And, um, you know, I think it's awesome, Jason, that you were able to get such a good deal. I'm yeah. uh, sporting the uh, iPhone SE generation two, uh, which, you know, is the sort of the last, the, the last holdout for the home button, which is not really why I have it. It's just that, you know, it was, it was affordable and actually I inherited it from my daughter when, when, you know, we upgraded her for her birthday with, with another phone. So it's interesting. Um, just the different schedules that we're on. Um, but I think that, you know, looking at your upgrade cost and the value of your phone somewhere in there is, is probably a sweet spot because I think if you do wait too long, then you really just don't get anything for your phone. Um, yeah. But um, I've certainly fallen into the trap uh, more recently of, oh, it's only going to be this, you know, to add to add on to the plan and stuff like that. So thankfully, we're about to to pay out of some of those plans, you know, cause that's another way that the, the carriers, you know, make it easy for you is to, is to just go ahead and, and, and finance it out. So uh, it'll be interesting. I'll, I'll have to see. I, you know, have enjoyed Swappa. I know Jason has too. Yes. It's been kind of my plan was like, okay, I guess I can just kind of get used because we've been used cars forever. And um, anyway, the, the used phone market, you know, can be, can be outstanding, but it just kind of depends upon the deal uh, that you're getting. And, you know, yeah, especially, I mean, when, when I jumped up and then I gave it to Rachel, but that iPhone 11 pro and you got it too, with that three camera setup. And I mean, those lenses and there were some, you know, at least once or twice in Boston where I was like, can we use your camera? You know, because it's just such a great lens, especially for wide angle and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, going to be incremental, but you know, it's, uh, it, there, there's also just all these other upgrades under the hood. Um, you know, with, with security, with, uh, the way that, that, that AI is working and machine learning and, and Siri and, and all those kinds of things. So I think that, um, you know, it's just a personal, personal decision and a financial decision in terms of your upgrade path, but I will certainly not be, you know, looking at you with cross eyes. In fact, I'm a little envious that, uh, you know, you're sporting the latest because it, what's crazy is you buy the latest now and then, you know, in two short years, you'll be, you'll be out yeah. of date, but um, you're still going to have a great phone. That's going to do probably yeah. everything that you need it to do. I just, I guess my last thought is just, I wouldn't buy anything today on the really low end of memory. I think you, you generally want to bump up. I, I don't know. This is my recommendation. Bump up at least one level, you know, as far as memory, it depends on what you do. Um, but as far as, you know, photos and videos and, and things like that, 
Um, I actually did have to delete the iMovie app to download my Spotify song at my my favorite playlist. So like 600 songs downloaded on LTE last night in like, you know, five minutes or something. It was crazy. Um, but it just kind of depends on what you're going to do, your travel, you know, are you going to be on airplanes? Uh, do you need to have offline content? Those kinds of things. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Enough of Apple articles. Where to next, sir? Wow. Okay. So there's a ton that we have. We're not going to get to cover them all under, uh, tech correction and privacy and security. Um, let's do some privacy and security. Uh, I'm going to start in kind of reverse order. So to, uh, how to avoid a Facebook hack. I've only written a couple articles on my own Substack, And if you're not familiar, Substack is a really pretty amazing and free, I would add, uh, to start um, mailing list that you can have and newsletter. And I paid for years for, for MailChimp and just I'm a horrible, horrible newsletter writer. I just don't, don't like that. And so anyway, um, I moved all my list into Substack and I'm not paying anything, but two of my, uh, you know, acquaintances, friends, colleagues this last week got hacked on Facebook, which is the, you know, typical message you get. Ooh, are you in this video? And so it's this social engineering, really tempting message. Oh boy, I wonder if I'm in that video, you know, trying to get you to click it, but their account has been compromised. So, uh, anyway, I wrote that and would encourage folks, anybody who's on the internet needs to know how to manage passwords safely. We need to be using unique passwords. They need to be long and complex. We need to turn on two-factor authentication, and we need to use a password manager to be able to keep track of them all. So anyway, that's a, that's some core advice that we've shared many, many times here on the show, but that's uh, a link that you can share, and you know, please do you know pass that along because that... Whether you're old, old or young, I would say, you know, any, anybody, uh, high school and older, you know, should be doing that. Um, okay. So the Washington Post on September 23rd has an excellent practical, practical article called Privacy Reset, a guide to the important things you should change now. And this group that is writing this is, uh, really a, a pretty exceptional group. Um, uh, they, uh, oh, shoot. And okay. Here's the bummer, right? Um, the Washington Post, and I'm, I'm paying for it now. Maybe they turned it off on this one because I'm not signed in. Let me click and see if I can go. I think it's probably going to say log in. No, they didn't. You never, oh, they did. Did they? Nope, it's just an ad. Okay, great. You don't have to be logged in. Uh, it really varies on what articles you, you know, have the complete free access to. Sometimes during elections and stuff like that, they'll just they'll have certain articles. They'll say, hey, everybody can, can have access to this. Uh, four different sections of this article um, specifically covering uh, Facebook, um, YouTube, um, well, I guess Google, Google privacy, Amazon privacy, and Venmo privacy. And this kind of step-by-step, like this is a, this would be a great workshop to do uh, in part because people need encouragement and help and, and I think a real catalyst to do some of these kinds of things. But uh, limiting, like the number one thing on the Facebook page, they say, is to stop Facebook from targeting ads based on what you do online. Um, there's other things that you can do as far as limiting, you know, your posts and who gets to see those. Turning off facial recognition for videos, not letting people tag you in a photo without approval, stopping Facebook from tracking your location. There's other ad settings to lock down, and then they've got other things. But it's all very specific. It's timely. It's updated with the latest version, uh, and it's specific to those different platforms. So I think that those are, you know, good good articles that are, that are practical and um, are related really to everybody who's using the Internet. Any thoughts about those, Dr. Neifer? Well, um, great guides um, that I haven't seen any of this stuff before. And my guess is, is that I've probably taken a stab at least at, at three of the four of these uh, to lock down privacy. I know one of them for sure that uh, I know that I've done is prevented people. Well, not, I don't prevent people from tagging me, but it doesn't auto post that into my feed. And it's not like it was weird. I just felt like that, that it, it, uh, it, it, it sometimes like outed me when I didn't really want to be noted for something, right? Like I maybe w- was on a trip or something and maybe it's a work trip and maybe it was quick. And then I, you know, I'm in a city where I maybe know someone, but I don't have time because it's a quick work trip. And then I get posted on a, on, on a photo and then some, oh, why didn't you visit me kind of stuff? Like sometimes I need to be more incognito than that. But 
one of the things that I do think is, is really interesting about this is that, and I've, I've said this a long time about Google, and I think that the same is, is probably true uh, about at least Amazon and maybe to a lesser extent Facebook, that if you aren't looking at the settings and making tweaks, you aren't using the tool set available to you um, uh, to, to make the tool uh, you know, less stinky in your life. And so knowing about these, and then I guess maybe I'll just beat on the drum that we do almost every week here, that this is exactly the kind of stuff you want to be sharing with kids. Um, if you have students, you know, part of, of, of being uh, uh, tech literate in 2021 is to understand if you're going to use all these tools and they're free, right? Free in quotation marks, they're free, understanding where the funding for this comes from and then minimizing its impact by being proactive in, in, in setting up things as you're comfortable. Now that said, you know, and I think I've said this quite, quite a few times in the past, um, you may be comfortable with the fact that ads are targeted to you. You may prefer targeted ads over non-targeted ads because, you know, you may rather see something that's of interest to you than things that are not of interest to you. But there's a caveat to all that because that data collected on you uh, when you are utilizing targeted ads may or may not be something you're wholly comfortable with. And so there's an interesting transition to another article that, that I shared today um, before we go into the other security articles, uh, there's a really great article in Motherboard by Vice um, on September 23rd. It says the NSA and CIA use ad blockers because online advertising is so, the term they use is dangerous. And it talks about how um, the sheer amount of data collected on people as they're perusing the internet and it doesn't necessarily need to be when you are logged into a system, so it's associating with you personally. It's been long known that oftentimes advertisers or nefarious actors could build a profile on you, whether they know your name or not. And there's been plenty. In fact, we've talked about probably a half dozen articles in, in the last five years of us podcasting about how there are plenty of instances where... um uh, there, uh, people were able to figure out like people's names based only on their surfing trends without any personal identifiable information being available um, uh, based on that. And so, you know, um, I, you need to utilize, if you're going to use these tools, you should absolutely be utilizing everything available to you in order to make your data valuable to you as much as it is to the, the, the company that you're working with. And I think that's a way to do that. But let's just have a moment of appreciation of the fact that, you know, ads are so dangerous, according to IT specialists at the CIA and NSA, that they encourage ad blocking by their, their users. And remember, ad blocking at, 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 by a lot of people is considered to be unethical because you're essentially blocking the way that a lot of sites fund themselves, right? By giving you targeted ads, it does increase the value that a company can get that's offering you web-based content. But um, I guess when you think about it logically, you could come to this conclusion without the NSA telling you this, but I was blown away by that headline. Absolutely. Well, along those lines, um, there's an article... Did I put this under tech correction? Yeah. Washington Post, August 29th. There's no escape from Facebook, even if you don't use it. Um, this article details how somebody who had gone ahead and, you know, quit um, Facebook at some point and deleted profiles and things like that uh, discovered um, upon logging in again or doing further research that they're, they're just continuing to, to, to gather all this data about him. So whether you have an active account or not have created an account or not, again, these companies are completely unregulated when it comes to this kind of thing in the United States today, we have the GDPR in Europe, but we do not have any regulation at all about what these companies can do or, or not do and it's just the wild west. And so, um, you know, the way this, this data is used and 
Uh, also, whether or not it's accurate or not, and the fact that we don't have you know rights to be able to to see it and all those kind of things. That so that was an article. That, it could have gone under under privacy and security or tech correction, but certainly goes along the lines with that. Um, get a couple of these a little more quickly. So BBC News on September 22nd uh, reported that Lithuania is urging people to throw away their Chinese phones. We haven't said the name Huawei in a while. In fact, I don't know that we've covered that article, but the the CFO of Huawei that was, you know, uh, being detained and jailed in Canada at the request of the United States pending extradition, that's been worked out and she has gone back. Uh, but we've talked about Huawei and the allegation by, you know, U.S. security experts as well as politicians. And this is where it was kind of hard to sort out. OK, I guess this is a real threat. It's not just politics, you know, that Huawei phones are going to pose a security risk. Whether they are snooping and sniffing now or whether there's this ability for Chinese authorities to flip a switch and say, hey, we want to suck all the data off of Huawei phones. Um, but Lithuania actually, its National Cybersecurity Center tested the 5G phones and it claimed that there were built-in censorship tools uh, in one of uh, the phones and that a Huawei model had security flaws. And of course, Huawei, you know, protested this and and said we don't um but uh there were 449 terms that they found this uh zia omi phone system apps uh that could be censored they had turned that off f for the european models but that software technology um was there right in the phone so china could throw a switch and say well you're not gonna look up you know tiananmen square or something like that uh, so one of the things that this definitely shows is the huge difference in the value systems of the United States and the West relative to, you know, China specifically. And, and that also goes for Russia. And so we see some hints of this conflict in, in places like this, but it really, it really is a big deal. Um, let's see. Uh, on a good news, we don't really do good news with security very often. So here you go. I was actually visiting Troy Hunt's website. He's the guy that does the Have I Been Pwned website. He's the Microsoft white hat hacker. And so he had shared this Ars Technica article. Um, HTTPS Everywhere was an initiative with extensions that um, uh, plugins were created for browsers. This was originally launched back in 2010 as a method to try to really encourage, you know, secure socket layer um, connections, meaning encryption that was between, you know, the whole you know, path of, of the data, you know, from, from web server to you and, and back and forth. But now these tools that force HTTPS are actually either on or they're available as options in uh, both Firefox and Chrome, I guess Safari too, and then you can turn it on in Edge. And so that's a really good thing showing that, you know, the, the web has become more secure and, and efforts like this that the EFF and other groups supported, um, you know, have, have paid off. Um, there's a website in the course of finding, you know, those links that I ran across. I'm interested in your thoughts about it, uh, Jason. It's a, it's a website called exposed or not. And Troy, um, Troy Hunt's website allows you to put in mainly your email address and see what data breaches that your email address might be in. Um, I am not putting in my passwords in this. It's the, the guy who made it. And, I, and of course, there's there's all you don't have to be a native English speaker to make phenomenal and great tools. But when you look at the password security guidelines, there's a few little, you know, grammatical errors and things like that. The big thing here says password to check. So put your password in here and click check. But then right above it, it says avoid checking current passwords in any tool ever. So I guess what you're supposed to do is if you know your password has been breached and you're not using it anymore, then put it in here and it's going to help you track it. But the thing I think this really dramatizes, and if you don't read that full print, you might just be, oh, let me put my password in here. Um, and there's another article that I'll talk about uh, as far as um, uh, vaccine data, you know, being breached and stolen. We really, really need to be careful where wherever we put our passwords. You know, we've 
heard time and time again, be careful about links that you have in email. It's a lot safer to type in the address directly into your browser or, you know, go to Google and, and find that website to log in. But a website like this that says, hey, you know, put in a password, see if it's been breached. This doesn't seem to be good and helpful in the same way that, that Troy Hunts is. Now, I think that Troy has a way of doing this too, but it's like a reverse search and I think it hashes it. So the hash is sent. And if I'm understanding a hash correctly, I don't know if it can just be unscrambled. And anyway, this is, this gets into the heart of how encryption works, but any thoughts about that? And does this exposed or not strike you just on first blush as something maybe to be suspicious about or like being overly cautious? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I did just check a couple of, uh, of passwords that I've depreciated out of my life, right? And it looks like one of them in particular, which is a pretty unique password to me for a variety of reasons. It goes back 20 years. So this is a, a long time ago password that was pretty common in my life. Um, the bottom line is, is that it appears that it, it has been used several times, but I mean, I mean, one thing you don't know is, you know, what is happening to this when you when you type it in, right? Like it obviously is sending it back to a server because it has to compare it, but you know, your IP address would be implicit in um in that and just kind of cranking up scenarios that some of these may be ridiculous, but you know, let's be paranoid for a minute. You know, for all you know, the uh if you type in a password that's active, it then you know creates a a a record with your IP address that it wouldn't be that difficult over time to perhaps draw some kind of conclusion about you. And um I, I'm glad you mentioned this um uh, uh particular one because uh I have talked about this podcast a couple of times in the past, but I listened to uh, a, basically a three episode series um, from the really wonderful podcast, Darknet Diaries. It's, it's, it's such an amazing podcast. It, um, and it seems like it's just one guy that's doing it. I'm sure he has to have a team behind him, but there's that, that these are, you know, tales from the dark side of the internet. And there was a three, um, uh, there was a three uh, uh, episode series that talked about the LinkedIn um, data breach from, I think it was from 2012. And then it talked about the impacts of the data breach, the next episode. And then it took it a step further when it said the LinkedIn data breach was actually the reason why um, uh, former president Trump's Twitter account was hacked a week before the 2016 election. It was actually hacked by white hat, hackers uh that had uh, uh they called themselves cranky old hackers because uh by the way they were old because they were in their 40s which uh makes Wes and I old so sorry about that for other other uh uh, uh people of our our gen x uh vintage but the the bottom line is that um you know a, a, a password can be a really extraordinarily dangerous thing, especially if you know your password's been hacked and you continue to use it. And so I know I'm sketched out by that. Um, I, I can, you know, and I tend to be a little paranoid uh, about all this just because of the dangers out there. I mean, the truth be told, unless someone's specifically going after you, the chance is relatively low that a massive hack is going to enter your life. I mean, in this particular case, it's about, you know, a prominent figure in America that loved Twitter, Right. So, uh, you know, of course, there was attention on him um, because of, of the amount he used Twitter for. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be extremely cautious. And then I guess I'll insert our advice from day one, which is you should be using a unique uh, uh, scrambled password on every website and you should be using a password manager. Period. End of story. And you don't have to be the target of, you know, a spear phishing attack because you're a, a candidate for political office because of the tools that are available now. Um, that little animation on that um, exposed or not, you know, actually is is OK, because what it does is it points out that, you know, there are there are algorithms and bots that are taking these, you know, breached usernames and passwords and then throwing them up against these different websites. So it almost is a case where you don't want to be, I think, using a national like bank, uh, you know, uh, think of Wells Fargo or 
uh, Chase or, you know, these really, these really big ones. <clears throat> I probably mentioned this before, but we I probably did the article when Disney plus came online, there were people complaining, Hey, my account's been hacked. No, what happened was they used the same password that was in a data breach previously. And so hackers were just going right in using that email and, and, and hacked password that was on the dark web uh, and being able to gain access to that, that tool. So, um, a related article, and I know this, you know, these kind of get old about, oh, yeah, yeah, just another hack. Um, but we're talking about, you know, vaccines more. Rachel and I just traveled on a plane. I hadn't been on a plane maybe in about two years. And um, I traveled with my my vaccine proof. I didn't, you know, nobody told me I was going to need that. Uh, but one of the things that I've been hearing about are some apps that you can use to have your photograph. And in some cases, depending upon how your state has done the vaccines, it can actually get like verification from the state of your vaccination status. Well, this is an article from the uh, CBC, which is up in Canada, in Calgary. And this was from September 28th. PortPass app may have exposed hundreds of thousands of users' personal data. And when you think about kind of data here, we're talking about driver's license and driver's license number and birthday and yes, the vaccination status and home address and, you know, all of this in the profile. And the thing was, they had had some, uh, I think they were sport, sport officials uh, for some different kinds of games um, that had made a recommendation to say, hey, you know, you, I guess you're going to you're having to prove vaccine status for certain kinds of events. And so um, the Calgary Flames, I think that's a hockey team. Um made this recommendation that because, um, okay, the Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation that owns the NHL's Calgary Flames had recommended the Calgary-based app as a way for ticket holders to prove their COVID-19 vaccination status to enter the Scotia Bank Saddle Dome Arena. <clears throat> so this third party, you know, was compromised. I mean, all kinds of things can happen to all kinds of different, um, you know, apps and and even the ones that are recommended and good you know it's possible for them uh to be breached but in this case you know it just unfortunately that tends to reduce the already very low faith that many people have in institutions and authorities and things like that when when that takes place but yeah yeah we've we need we need to be careful and i do i do want to you know use an app i think to uh keep track of my vaccination status and stuff like that but um you know Tread, tread carefully. Yeah. Well, and whenever you put your personal data on an app, um, it's hard to research this, right? Especially if you're not talking about a major provider, um, but it, you know, it's at risk. And um, I, uh, well, I mean, I, I, as an example of this, um, I do use a, a, a credit monitoring service. It's called Credit Karma. Um, I have reviewed its uh, 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 privacy policies and and did a little research on it, and it uh, um, you know it, it 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 it's been a good tool for me. But one of the services they provide me is an opportunity to see where my my accounts have been in data breaches, and you would be shocked. Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of of accounts of mine have been broken into in the last. Uh, uh, 20 years. And, and by the way, that's one of the reasons why I moved to a password manager and re, you know, my standard now is a 16 character randomly generated password for everything with my password manager. I also do that at school um, because of the amount of student data that, you know, any typical uh, uh, education worker has as part of their accounts. Um, that's relatively low level uh, data, um, stuff that really isn't that personal, but man, could it be used to cause a lot of, 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 of terrible things to happen that would cause a lot of, of FUD in the world. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I guess, yeah, be careful. You just have to, and you have to be a bit cynical about things and you shouldn't always log in or create accounts or do something just because it's there. Yep. Hey, we have three live viewers now. Uh, and I, I do know uh, our, our, our Facebook uh, commenter there uh, who, who comments that feels like we're, you know, having more breaches uh, and data hacks than, than ever before, even just a year ago. And I absolutely think that's true. Yes. Um, we are getting numbed to it. Uh, but that's why I had a chance to do another TEDx talk. And I did it on protecting yourself and your family from, you know, 
from hackers, um, being a technology fear therapist and helping people overcome the fear that we have and figure out what to do practically. And those are some of the things that we've talked about tonight with, you know, long passwords. I'm 30 character random passwords are what I've been using now, which by the way, if you have to type them and then a rare occasion I do, it is a little painful to type that many. Um, One of the things I like about uh, password managers is many of them will, you know, not only show you your password in large text, but they'll also change the color of like the numbers and the letters. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's hard to say, is that a lowercase L or a one, you know, and that kind of thing to make that a little bit uh, more clear. Um, Peggy's asking about if that passport hack had, had occurred only in Canada. Um, it was, th- it was this app called, called passport. Um, and it was primarily Canadians I think that we're using it, but I don't think it was exclusively Canadian. So yeah, anybody who was using the app, I think was subject to that data breach. It will probably be in Troy Hunt's have I been pwned, you know, web website before long. Well, shoot, why don't we do one more security and privacy and then we can go on to another topic as we've got about 15 minutes left. Uh, this one was from the Associated Press on September the 24th. Uh, the EU, the European Union, warns Russia over cyber attacks ahead of German elections. Um, you know, the the fact that we have uh, what a book I read terms a like war, you know, going on with, with social media and, and utilizing all these different platforms, but actual government groups seeking to subvert electoral processes, reduce the confidence that people have in their electoral systems and their, their political and governmental systems overall. Um, you know, the European Union uh, was warning Russia against allowing hackers to attack databases or spread disinformation in their 27 member countries. Um, and so it talked about how they've observed these malicious cyber activities. They've designated them ghostwriter and they've associated those with the Russian state uh, and so they're, you know, making this strong statement against them. But, you know, these activities have gone on and they've intensified. And we in the West who have more societies are we have bigger targets on our on our backs. And by the way, part of the reason why, you know, Space Force is so important. I don't know if I talked about this on the show, but. Um, when we went Labor Day weekend up to the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs and had a chance to visit with some folks in Space Force about, you know, why that was formed, the un- if there were unclass- what the unclassified reasons are. Um, and, and one of the main missions, there's five major career fields in there, but, but cyber is one of them. And it's just the elevation of their mission, not only protecting and defending our satellites um, and, and everything that's tied to space, which is really, really huge, not just GPS, uh, but GPS is big. But anyway, the cyber world and uh it's a it's a combination of you know corporate and governmental um but it just i'm and i'll share this with my geek of the week i'll warn you in advance my geek of the week is rather depressing to this <laughs> at some level but part of it is because the the bad actors continue to gain access to better and better tools to do really bad things and so i don't think that you know, the presidential elections in 2024 are going to be significantly better than what we've seen, what we've seen before in terms of the use of, of social media platforms being weaponized and, and cyber attacks. And we, I don't think that we have bore the onslaught of cyber attacks like they have in like Belarus and then the Ukraine, you know, Russia has really kind of taken the gloves off and just opened all the valves, I think, or I don't know what the right metaphor for that is, but just, you know, unleashed the, um, all of their weapons, it seems like, uh, in terms of taking down power grids and doing all kinds of, of really nasty and, and bad things. So anyway, it's a sign of the times, but that's one of those articles just kind of, it's like in the background, you're just kind of hearing a little bit, but that, that, that capability and that capacity and the hostility within that environment is just, it's as hostile as I think it, it ever has been. And will Russia pay any attention to this little announcement by the EU? Probably not. Yep. Okay. Well, what else would you like to talk about tonight, sir, besides privacy and security, which we've actually, you know, did a pretty good job covering those articles. We got some, some Google. Well, I guess we did the, no, we didn't do those Googles. We got Google, Microsoft, Amazon, social media tech correction. You just got all kinds of choices. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's push the whole tech collection group to next week. 
Okay. Just because there's a lot of interesting stuff there I want to dig into. And we could do some kind of quick, quick round here. We just have 10 minutes left tonight. Yeah. Um, maybe qu- quick updates. Uh, let's do the Amazon article. I know you put it in there. So you want to introduce it? Yeah. So Fortune, uh, September 28th, everything to know about three new Amazon devices have unveiled on Tuesday. Uh, this is probably a case where it's going to be impacting consumer tech a little bit more than it's impacting, you know, your classroom uh, directly. Uh, but there's an Astro robot that, um, Amazon has unveiled and, um, it's, you know, been con- compared, I guess, a little bit to the, to the Jetsons. Um, uh, <clears throat> this is working with video with Amazon's ring service. Uh, it can play games. It has a projector that it will project down on the ground. I guess you can, you know, play it in chess. Uh, you can video conference with it. Um, there's a kid projector called glow that they have to entertain children, um, it's like an echo show. It has a touch, touch sensitive digital projection. Yeah. That's the one. This, this is the glow, um, that's designed for kids, 250 bucks. Um, there's an echo show 15. So it's a larger, you know, video conferencing device competing with Google's nest hub max and Facebook's portal. So I guess I'd ask Jason, I know you are, you have your feet in both the Google home world and the Amazon uh, echo and Alexa world uh maybe i shouldn't have said that out loud in the podcast um <laughs> just just activating somebody's device where are you with that and are are you equally happy with both of them and any of these you know tempt you thinking to to get one i haven't had a google device plugged in my home in in probably a year now so and i don't actually use the smart speaker component nearly as much as I use it as, as a, essentially a network speaker. I love that component. And I do have, uh, I mean, I, I do have some things set up on, on, on Madam A. Um, I am just trying to think what would be a good example of it. Uh, like in my office right now, my, so I'm in my home office. Uh, my home office went from being kind of in a, a dank basement uh, pre-pandemic to where I've taken over a guest bedroom in our home and, and bought new desks. And, and, and I have a, uh, as my wife put it at the time, please create the home office of your dreams since we're going to be stuck here for a little while. And it's not quite of my dreams because, you know, I, I didn't pay anyone to come in and, you know, and, and, and construct anything or, or do anything custom, but I have a television that is off to my left that it's an old 730p flat panel television that's got a, uh, I think it's a Google, uh, a Google, no, it's not even that. It's a, it's a fire TV stick that's hooked into it. So I can, you know, watch, uh, you know, stream TV or YouTube while I'm, I'm, I'm working in my office and, I don't want that on 24-7, so I have that on a smart plug, and if I ask Madam A to turn on my office TV, then she she will do that for me. We have about maybe seven or eight smart plugs. My coffee maker's on a smart plug, because I don't want it on 24 hours a day, um, that sort of thing. But that's really it. And while I love this stuff, and while I think the home automation's interesting... I'm also very concerned about the low quality of a lot of the smart plug devices and there's, they're real security threats that they can become botnets. They can be used to get inside your home network. So I've become much more careful about that, but I still think that the speakers that, that Amazon sells are really high quality and they work great with Spotify. They work great as Bluetooth speakers. They work great as network speakers. Um, I, I like that component. That's really all that I have left uh, here in my home. My trust of Amazon is really, really low. So I just have decided not to invest in any of their devices. Uh, we've got 30 different devices with IP addresses right now, according to my uh, Google Home Wi-Fi. Uh, most of those are smart plugs or um smart switches. So uh, we've had, you know, four different outside lights on a timer that works with if this, then that, as far as sunrise and sunset, you know, going on or off. And the main routine that we have is uh, just in our bedroom. Uh, when we walk in, we can turn on lights and turn on the, the TV, which has uh, a, a Chromecast, you know, that scrolls through uh, photographs and as a, as a screensaver and stuff like that. We can turn that off at night. But yeah. um, we did invest in the in in some cameras, so we've got a Nest doorbell on the front of the house, and we've got a, um, uh, a Nest camera that we have as well. And it's been interesting, um, you know, working with and and deciding, you know, what when do we want to have that on and and off and things like that, and but being able to see the dogs and that's the main thing with pets. So it's mainly a pet camera inside. Um, 
And then we actually, and I had something happen this weekend that was a little bit weird, but anyway, having an alert on the front door, you know, ended up being good to, to have. So yeah, I'm not tempted to, to jump into any of these kind of things, but you know, we're going to continue to, um, see these sorts of home automation things and you got to have an eye for security. It's one of the reasons why I'm not going with a third party cheap, uh, in terms of cameras and things like that. You know, yeah. I've gone with Google, uh, with Google Nest's line. Um, I might've told the story before I, I needed to write a blog post about it, but I've had some weird things happen with really cheap light switches that I've had. And when, when they're trying to update with firmware, like it's all in Chinese, like nothing's in English. I'm like, I am not installing that, you know, yeah. and then you're like, and then you look at the data on your devices and you're like, why is this device uploading stuff? Like that doesn't seem like it should be happening at all. And yep. so anyway, at whatever point we move, I'll probably look at that a little bit more. And in an ideal world, um, and this would be a, a geeky thing, but Hey, I wouldn't be above trying this. Um, I have a raspberry Pi that I originally got to try to run this thing called Pi hole, which can supposedly serve as your DNS, um, your, your domain, your domain name, uh, system router filtering all of your internet traffic and then block your ads at that point. I wanted to not have any ads on my Apple TV. It doesn't work. They're, they figure, or sorry, I, yeah, I didn't want them on YouTube <laughs> on, on Apple TV anyway. Anyway, it did not work. But that idea of having, um, like a pie that's a computer that's running all the time and it's cheap, right? It's like 30 bucks. It's not an expensive CPU and it doesn't drain a lot of electricity or whatever. But then having that log stuff to be able to see, you know, Hey, have any of my light switches been hacked and are they part of a botnet? And maybe that sounds like I should be, you know, putting on a tinfoil hat, but just read the Wikipedia article for the Mirai botnet and how that worked. And that created some of the largest denial of service attacks that we've ever seen in the internet. And the bad actors that did those, I don't think have ever been caught and brought to justice. And that happened with, Internet of Things devices that people have in their houses. So, yep. anyway. And then let's just talk about it for a second. The weird uh, Amazon robot dog thing um, that was released. Um, uh, uh, I'm not sure if he's listening uh, or not, but my my uh, doctoral mentor at the University of Montana is is Dr. Martin Horaji, and he was harassing me about this th uh, tonight on text messaging. And... Uh, weird. And, you know, I, I will say that this is what you want about Amazon. Astro, right? This yeah, is Astro. Astro. It's basically a, it's basically a screen hooked to a base that has wheels on it and it can move around your house. Apparently it's got the ability to throw itself downstairs. Um, it couldn't go upstairs, which actually I think is a, a, a probably a, a good thing in light of, of everything. But I just feel like that, you know, Amazon tends to ratchet up the creepy in order to diminish its success, right? We talked about in the past the sidewalk network, for example, and while I understand what they're trying to do there, this notion that it's going to use your Wi-Fi for others sort of thing to create some kind of sub-network, whatever. I, I don't like it, and I think that, you know, um, Amazon's best when they keep things simple, I think. That's why I think the um, the, uh, uh, the speakers that, that, uh, the echo speakers have been a, a great success is because it's not that complex, right? It's something you plug in, you get going, you press a button and suddenly your music plays there. I think that's a good model, but the, I, I don't like the, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want a robot dog in my home. Fair enough. Uh, here's a quick one. That's just kind of a wild blow your mind. Well, not really blow your mind, but it's just, it's kind of wild and it shows the power of the influencers. Verge on September 24th, a teenager on TikTok disrupted thousands of scientific studies with a single video. Uh, so we are going to, I think in November, <clears throat> do another one of these parent university uh, sessions virtually for our parents. And we're going to talk about YouTube influencers and just actually social media influencers in general. So um, this, uh, this TikToker, uh, Sarah Frank was uh, sitting in her bedroom recording a video in July. Uh, she's a Florida high school graduate. Uh, and she was helping people find out how they can just earn a little bit of money uh, if they have different amounts of time. And so that video, 
uh, in a month got over 4 million views and it sent tens of thousands of users onto this platform called Prolific, which I'd never heard of before, but a lot of scientists use it to conduct behavioral research. And they don't use screening tools, figuring out if they have a representative sample or whatever. And then suddenly, you know, they're used to getting a wide mix of, of subjects and, you know, young women about the age of the, the TikToker Frank, um, end up, you know, being the ones that submitted this to, to get paid. And so this is a real interesting article from the standpoint of showing how important influencers are and how, you know, somebody's mention on a TikTok video can, can have an impact on your research. Um, it also mentions Mechanical Turk and the ways that that's impacted social science research that previously had to happen in the laboratory. If you're not familiar with Mechanical Turk, um, that's an Amazon-owned property that allows you to crowdsource work and repetitive tasks. And basically people can earn fractions of a penny for doing these really, you know, meaningful and repetitive things, but you can end up, you know, not paying that much to get a lot of repetitive work done. And so researchers have leveraged that. So anyway, I thought that was pretty interesting um, if for no other reason than reminding us about how influencers on social media platforms like TikTok and YouTube um, have some have some big influence on people's lives and people's behavior. And those are good conversations to have with your children or grandchildren. Hey, who are you following? Can you show me them? Let me, you know, let me see a little bit about them. Check them out because, you know, we don't all just have a television in the living room and everybody's not tuned into Wild Kingdom at six o'clock on Sunday night. You know, there's there's a million different things that people can be watching. Um, and it's good to have conversations about what those are um, for different reasons. Yep. All right. I think we did it again, sir. It looks like we've been talking for an hour. I'm just <laughs> amazed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's do our Geek of the Week. Why don't you start, sir? Okay, um, so this video I, I told you was going to be a little, a bit of a, of a Debbie Downer. Um, there's a transcript article that you can check out that is on the Atlantic and it's titled Misinformation is About to Get So Much Worse. But the video is a 20 minute interview with Eric Schmidt, who many of you may remember was the longtime CEO of Google. So we always had that when EF Hutton speaks, people listen. You know, when Eric Schmidt speaks, it's good to listen. He's a really smart guy that's been really influential and still is. Uh, and so his video is titled How AI Sh Shapes Our Human Futures. And it just is, again, a jarring little wake up about how we are on the cusp of an absolutely seismic change in the way that our society works. Because artificial intelligence is already impacting us in so many ways, and that influence is just going to get bigger and bigger. But to think about bad actors, like this is an article that every service academy and ROTC student and probably war college, you know, officer should be listening to because they're t he's talking about how, you know, pro like we have nuclear proliferation and trying to con do containment for nuclear weapons. These tools are only going to be mastered by a small number of countries. And we're going to need to be concerned about controlling these arms control for these kinds of artificial intelligence um, tools that are going to have devastating potential when they're used in, in malicious ways by bad actors. So a really good article, a wake up call. On the other hand, there's tremendously awesome stuff that AI is doing now and is going to be able to do, even in the case of research, like being able to just like read all the articles and summarize them and tell you what's important. But Excellent, excellent 20-minute video that I highly recommend. And then on a more positive note, NASA's Artemis rover is poised to launch Viper, which is going to be its, its, uh, the name of its rover. It's going to land near the south pole of the moon. And there's a almost three-minute video that I'll be showing to my students tomorrow. And uh, we have Friday off. We have conferences. So anyway, the next two class days I'm going to be showing. And it's just super cool, man, the stuff that's going on with the moon and but the questions, like, are we just going to exploit the water and the ice? Whoever gets it first, do they get to use it all up? You know, are we going to repeat the same mistakes that we've made before when, you know, explorers from uh, from Europe, you know, came to other areas? It is absolutely fascinating, uh, and it's also exciting. So, geeks of the week there. Great. Thank you. And then I've got an article from Life Savvy, and who knows who writes Life Savvy, but, and, and I'm, and there, it's not based on research or anything. It just happens to agree with me, so I thought I'd share it. We've talked about this a number of times in the past, but 
Uh, the article is called A Pocket Notebook is the Best Productivity Booster Ever. And I have to agree with this, that as much as I love tech and, you know, carry my cell phone with me everywhere and oftentimes have multiple ways to get uh, a device to record things, I still absolutely love the pocket notebook. The, the, it, this is uh, sometimes referred to as the field notes notebook, but it's a, it's a three and a half by five and a half inch notebook. And, um, I think this is an example of something I would teach to kids, right? That I always, um, I have one of these in my pocket. I love to travel with them. I love to go my day to day life with them. I'm finding as I'm getting a little older and much more gray that my memory suffers just ever so slightly to the point where if I don't write things down, um, it oftentimes doesn't stick with me. And we also know from cognitive science that writing things down is an important exercise. It's an important cognitive exercise because the process of writing something down and what has to go in your head to be able to do that can actually help enforce memory. But as a reminder, and I'm sure I've talked about this in the past, but I thought I mentioned it again, I love field notes. They're expensive, but they're beautiful, handcrafted notebooks uh, out of Chicago and in Portland, Oregon. But if you don't want to buy field notes, there are plenty of, of knockoff alternatives on Amazon. Uh, this is an example of one right here uh, that I think you can buy 50 of these for like 25 bucks and, uh, you know, be able to keep this in your pocket. I like to put a leather case around mine um, so that it's nicer, even if I buy the cheap one. Um, and I, I like a good notebook case, too. In fact, I like uh, just notebooks is my thing. But, um, you know, it's Geek of the Week, not Tech Geek of the Week, but Geek of the Week. So I want to share that notion. It is. Peggy George joins us as well. Thank you, Peggy. Leslie Fisher's free webinar this Friday is going to be an open house showing her new setup for doing webinars from her home. She cool. has an 82-inch screen on her wall, and you can find more <laughs> at lesliefisher.com. So that sounds cool. Thank you, Peggy. That's great. Thanks, Peggy. Well, Wes, where can people find you about the internets? Well, I am on Twitter's at WFryer, and you can also just go to westfryer.com, and I've done some slight updates there, and you can click a content, I guess, connect link, and there's all kinds of channels. So I'm going to be, rumor is, smoking a brisket this weekend. So if you want to come along, then you can go come cook with Wes. How about you, Jason? Um, I, um, my main social media channel as relates to education is Twitter, Tech Savvy Teach. But this here is in our social media channels. It's not even really about brisket, although I'm glad you mentioned that because I may get into that addiction myself. I keep telling myself I don't want to because the last thing I need is an equipment-based hobby because of my many others of them. But I enjoy watching, Wes, you do that um, on the social medias. But this here is the EdX Situation. We are a once-a-week podcast. We broadcast live on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Central Time, sometime in the middle of the night uh, 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 UTC. If you can't join us live, although we, I really wish you would, um, feel free to download our podcast. You can go to our website, um, uh, www.edtechsr.com. You can also go there and find our links, edtechsr.com slash links. It, it brings you to our massive Google document where we, um, uh, share uh, the links that we get to or we don't, or you can go to YouTube, Facebook, or wherever you download podcasts, wherever Finer podcasts are aggregated. We are there. But if you can't join us live, download, listen to them. Great commute. Great uh, walk around the neighborhood listening to. And we hope you'll engage with us. Uh, stay safe. Stay savvy. We'll see you next time on the EdTech Situation Room. Good night, everybody.